An embryo uh, is the combination of uh, a human egg and human sperm. It is actually a human being at its earliest development stage. Uh, an embryo has a total uh, complement of chromosomes, uh, complete DNA to make that uh, embryo exactly uh, the person that it will someday become. In vitro fertilization started uh, 20 or 30 years ago actually in England. Uh, you may remember Louise Brown was the first baby born uh, through in vitro fertilization. When couples go through IVF, they extract eggs from the woman uh, and put those eggs in a petri dish. And, and sometimes they'll uh, extract uh, three or four eggs, sometimes 20 or 30 eggs. And then they will add sperm, either from the husband or from a donor, uh, and allow those sperm to penetrate the eggs, creating embryos. For each embryo that is created or develops at that point, they will take some of those embryos and implant them in the woman in what is called the fresh cycle. In other words, it's done very soon after the embryos were created. The rest of the embryos are then frozen. Over the years, a number of embryos have been stored in liquid nitrogen, and that number has now grown to over a half million. And those are all embryos that were created by a couple to use in building a family, but the family was successful in having children before all of them were used, so you still have some of them waiting uh, in cryobanks for their turn. The embryo adoption program uh, is very unique. Our program is called the Snowflakes program because embryos are frozen, each one is unique, uh, and they're a gift from God. We have had 260 plus babies born uh, just in this Snowflakes embryo adoption program, and there's other programs around the country. Even though it is uh, 15 or 16 uh, years old now, uh, we still have people saying, uh, embryo adoption, that, that just sounds weird. Uh, how can you take an embryo that was created by one family and implant it in another woman? Don't you have to do tissue matching? Well, no you don't. Uh, an embryo can be implanted in any woman uh, who has uh, a womb to uh, shelter and protect that child as it grows. An embryo is life, human life, at its earliest stage of development. The real question is, at what stage does that life uh, deserve uh, and have special protection under the law? The family that creates embryos uh, make the decision as to what is going to happen to the embryos. They're the owners. The law in the United States really treats uh, those parents as owners and the embryos as property, although the courts have said that it's property with very special uh, attributes and deserving of great respect. The family that is transferring the embryo to the adopting parents does not receive any compensation at all. They are not paid past storage bills. They're not paid a prorated share of what it costs to uh, create those embryos. So they truly donate the embryos to the adopting family. Once an embryo has been implanted into a woman and she gives birth to the child, under the law, she is presumed to be the mother of the child. In addition to that, the husband 
if she is married, is presumed to be the father. Many people ask uh, how long an embryo can be frozen and still have a chance at uh, uh, surviving the thaw and being uh, uh, successfully uh, transferred to a woman and being born. You may have embryos that were created uh, and implanted in a woman in what we called the fresh cycle, uh, and a child uh, resulted from that transfer, while the rest of the embryos were frozen. And 20 years later, and we've had them up to 20 years, the embryos are thawed, implanted in the adopting mother. She becomes pregnant and gives birth to a child that is 20 years younger than that child's genetic sibling that was created at exactly the same time. Some people may say that uh, uh, maybe the child's going to be born with frostbite or uh, are they going to have premature gray hair since they're uh, so much older? But the, uh, the truth is that we measure the age of the child based on the development of the child to the point of birth, uh, and then they start at zero. So as long as they're able to uh, use a protectant that uh, keeps the moisture and crystallization away from the embryo, uh, in reality, there could be uh, an indefinite uh, shelf life. Uh, which is maybe a, an inappropriate term to use with human beings, but uh, uh, it, is, uh, it is what they use when they have the embryos in a liquid nitrogen tank. Families that are donating their embryos set the criteria for the, for the recipients of the embryos, the adopting family. And they may say that they want a family that doesn't have other children, or they may want a family that is the same religion that they are, uh, or they may want a family that looks like them. And the same thing applies to the adopting parents. The adopting parents say they want to adopt embryos uh, that are going to look like them, that may be, uh, have the same hair color, the same eyes, and so forth. Well, we know genetically there's no guarantee of what a child is going to look like. So the most you can do is try to maximize your chances. And of course, they can't determine what the sex is going to be. Uh, so they're, uh, they're going to have a boy or a girl as, uh, as the child is born. As human beings, we want control. I mean, we all want to be able to make all the decisions and control all the factors that affect our lives. But in the final analysis, uh, you know, man plans and uh, God creates. social media you could drop down in the comments and complain what another show I haven't caught up with the last show well things are kind of clipping along here and I have been doing this IVF as in how they're growing babies business for a number of years and lo and behold months ago and I'm talking months ago I put an entire show together about it so this is a pretty simple one to get out there and by sharing my work my hope well, first of all, I don't feel like it's my responsibility to share my work at times that I think that you're able to have or have time to listen to it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so download what you want. I'm just sharing while I can. If you noticed in the last show, my poor boy is having a great deal of difficulty breathing. And this entire house is getting hit extraordinarily hard. So anyway, so the show must go on, right? So... While I get my notes organized, um, I have um, people would contact me over 
their thoughts about transhumans, okay? And this has been a really big deal from the DARPA folks. <laughs> uh, how they sold this transhuman deal, okay? I mean, there's people everywhere on social media talking about transhuman. <clears throat> this is also about stealing your time, right? So just be aware of, if you want to goof around all day on the internet, then by all means, uh, have fun if you want to. You know, what I say about some of these things is, I'll, I'll ask myself, would this be somebody that I would invite in for a cup of coffee? And if the answer is a resounding, what the hell? <laughs> then I just keep moving along, okay? Because it is a big circus act of distraction. So um, what I'm going to be playing first is, so anyway, so over the years I would get contacted by people just convinced that transhumans were real, right? And I never really took the time to do a show to explain why it's not real because I thought, well, when I get to this IVF show, I'll explain it all then. Well, I'm kind of moving ahead there. So what I'd like to do is I would ask people questions um, when they would tell me they were convinced that transhumans were real. I would ask them just gentle questions like, well, what, what convinced you of this, right? And the answer that I typically always got was Dolly the sheep, okay? Everybody always pointed to Dolly the sheep as the evidence <laughs> that they're making humans, okay? And like I said in the last show, if you want to see some evidence of what a disaster this all is, go to psychopathinyourlife.com and click on the elite transgender thing. And they are nowhere near transhuman. So, so anyway, so I found a really good clip from the New York Times. And it's about, it's, it's over, it's about 12 minutes, 13 minutes long. And it's the story of Dolly the cloned sheep, okay? Because when I would ask people why they think this transhuman is real, they point to Dolly the sheep. And then I'd say, well, where'd you get that information? Well, we, we saw it in a newspaper, an old newspaper article. Well, of course, they control the newspaper articles, right? So this is all just a big side act. So they really honestly, still to this day, have a lot of people convinced that transhumans are the next big step. This is all a big bluff and puff game, right? If you're on the game board and you want to convince everybody else that you're the biggest, baddest, meanest wolf in town, what do you do? You come up with a lot of big lies, right? You talk about this extensive matrix system you've cooked up <laughs> only in your head but not on paper, right? So, yeah, so this Dolly the Sheep thing is what everybody hangs their evidence on and my thing with my work is to get to how do these things get started so let's take a listen to this clip um it's the story is the story of dolly the cloned sheep retro report the new york times new story today to which we intend to devote some time is very simple hello dolly <laughs> in february of 1997 a finn dorset sheep named dolly sent waves of future shock around the world. The first living, breathing clone of an adult mammal. It's possible we're seeing a scientific explosion comparable to the atom bomb or the moon rocket or DNA itself. For many, it was a case of science gone too far. So are we acting more like the creator than creatures? Are we trying to play the role of God in all this? Predictions multiplied about just what this breakthrough would bring. Soon it will be possible to give her thousands of absolutely identical sisters. Animals could be cloned with human diseases and new therapies tested on them. Endangered species could take heart. This is not a... Well, I'm watching this for the first time as I'm airing it for you also. But keep in mind, I did a show about them cross-infecting us with animals. started with smallpox, okay? 
So go look for those shows because they have been cross-infecting us with animal stuff to get us sick <laughs> since the beginning of time. <laughs> that's how it works, right? Cross-infect. That, that's why you always read in the news all this stuff about Wuhan. It's about the bats, the wet market. They're eating bats or they're doing this or that. Well, because it is true they are cross-infecting us with animals. <laughs> that's how they're giving us diseases. So that's what makes this a little bit funny for me personally because... That was their first strategy, and I think wasn't the um, smallpox thing with cows and smallpox? Um, yeah, so they're big on giving us diseases from animals, so that's why this dolly the sheep thing makes even more sense, right? Elaborate, sophisticated technique. It means that any decent college or graduate school student could potentially clone a human being. Whatever became of Dolly, and all that speculation about the brave new world she ushered in. July 5th, 1996, Scottish scientist Ian Wilmot received the news he had been waiting for. Lamb number 6LL3 had been born. First of all, I was immensely relieved that she was alive and apparently normal. There was a slight feeling of sort of awe, if you like, at the potential impact. Wilmot and his team at the Roslyn Institute outside of Edinburgh had spent several years trying to do what no one had before to successfully make a clone of an adult mammal. Embryologist Bill Ritchie had lifted a single mammary cell from a six-year-old ewe and fused it to a second sheep's unfertilized egg, which had been stripped of its DNA. That's the method. The actual nuts and bolts of doing it is, is uh, a little bit more complicated than that. In fact, Ritchie had repeated the same delicate procedure over 400 times, and only one surviving embryo, number 6LL3, was carried to term by a surrogate mother. Hello? Gee, I wonder why it's called 6LL3. <laughs> so the cloned animals previously had died, born and then died. But this particular lamb got onto its feet very quickly and started bleating and looking to... Um, get its first feed of milk from its mother. After the delivery, it was John Bracken's wisecrack that christened little 6LL3 with the name forever etched in the annals of scientific achievement. I turned to my colleague and said, the lamb is being created from mammary cells, and basically um, I thought it would be a good idea to call her Dolly after Dolly Parton. <laughs> I don't think I need to explain any more than that. <laughs> The few at Roslyn who knew what made Dolly so special were sworn to secrecy. We knew it was going to be a big story. We were going to get a lot of media scrutiny. And the top journals will not publish papers about things which have already been publicized. They managed to keep Dolly under wraps from July until February. Then, just days before the news was set to be released... Somewhere or other, there was a leak. And because it was published in a Sunday paper, Thing blew. It's a very long time since a science story on Sunday made such waves on Monday. The news was that scientists in Scotland had successfully cloned a sheep in a laboratory. An exact copy made by a combination of genetics, biology, and technology. I think you'd say, oh, hell, I've broken loose. 
it was just bedlam. A brave new world has arrived with the debut of Dolly, a seven-month-old lamb. What has caused such a shudder in the worldwide scientific community is that so many scientists doubted it could ever be done. A frog had been cloned in the 1960s, but mammals were seen as too complex. It was a seminal watershed event, and no one saw it coming. <laughs> and people said, this is the Rubicon that we've crossed. Do we really know where we are? Which brings us to the fundamental question, should we be applauding a mind-boggling scientific breakthrough or be nervous about where it might lead us? Picture a world where hunger has been wiped out by our ability to clone the best cattle in great number, but where war threatens because some future Hitler decided to make multiple copies of himself. What sensationalized it was that people began to say, well, could we do this with humans? And people tended to assume that this would happen. Cloning a human being is closer than almost anyone had even imagined. Now it seems that one day scientists could take a single cell from a more sophisticated creature, say like me, pull out my DNA, stick it in a new cell, plant the cell in a womb, and nine months later, out would come a genetic copy of me, a clone. The tantalizing prospect of cloning human beings soon overshadowed the true scientific promise of Dolly. The prospect that scientists could one day use cloned cells to develop drugs and other therapies in the hopes of curing deadly human diseases. In the scientific world, it was actually more of a next step accomplishment in some ways. But in the popular press, this meant that if Dolly was possible, maybe you could make an army of whoever your worst enemy is. Recent bestseller, The Day After Tomorrow, imagine Hitler recreated from his frozen head. And it really extended to a ghoulish, icky misuse of science domain that people suddenly started thinking in almost sci-fi terms about what was now possible. Begun the Clone War has. And that led to people thinking that we really need boundaries because scientists look what they can do. It's going to take a shape that's abhorrent to us if we don't get ready for it. If we can't ban the production of people just to serve as spare parts for the rest of us, we don't have much hope of doing anything in the world of ethics and law. President Clinton wasted little time coming out as tough on cloning. Today I am issuing a directive that bans the use of any federal funds for any cloning of human beings. It started to become politicized from the very beginning. You have presidential commissions, senators and congressmen holding forth on science. What should be funded and what should be forbidden. This affected not only cloning, but another recently developed and promising form of medical research using embryonic stem cells, the building blocks of the human body. These cells were generally taken from discarded embryos at fertility clinics, which created an immediate controversy. Dolly was very much caught up in the whole debate about embryonic stem cells. And so there was a lot of concern about that was really messing around with something really fundamental to life. Scientists have already cloned a sheep. Researchers are telling us the next step could be to clone human beings to create individual, designer stem cells, essentially to grow another you. In August of 2001, President George W. Bush restricted federally funded medical research to a limited number of stem cell lines, many of which turned out to be useless to American scientists who had been among the first to isolate human stem cells. The scientific community felt like this was really the very base of a tremendous revolution in our understanding and treatment of human disease. 
but we were being constrained, and that really had a, a very chilling effect on research in the U.S. It's kind of like we invented the first printing press, and then we decided, no, we're not going to use it. It's too scary. And the Koreans and Indonesians were saying, hey, give it to us. <laughs> we got some books we want to print. While the cutting edge of stem cell research took hold overseas, the latest feats of cloning continued to capture the public's imagination. Bring in the clone. Numerous cloned animals made the news, as did claims of a human clone by the rather unscientifically trained Raelians. And inside your finger, you have small planet. Then, in February of 2003... Dolly the sheep has died. A scientist <laughs> at the Institute in Scotland, where she was born, said she was diagnosed with progressive lung disease. She was only six years old, so here is yet another warning about cloning. Of course she was Critics sick, right? long argued Dolly would suffer from premature aging because she was made from the genetic material of a six-year-old ewe and saw her early death as confirmation of their concerns. Dolly died because of the lung disease that she had, a disease commonly passed between animals in close contact. It wasn't anything to do with her age. Although Dolly had developed early arthritis, a post-mortem at Roslyn concluded her cloning was not the cause of her death. But what happened to Dolly's legacy and all that speculation about a future full of clones? Dolly was this live animal that we could look at and touch and feel that caused us to imagine that there will be people cloning in their sink, in their backyard, and there just wasn't an understanding of the level of sophistication and complexity around this technology. Few know those complexities better than Blake Russell, who oversees the Viagen Company's cloning operation on this 300-acre farm in northern Iowa. Costing upwards of $20,000, their services are used mainly by high-end breeders to preserve the best traits of elite animals. The number of cloned animals around North America, for example, would only number today in the small thousands. But yet there would be literally millions of descendants of those animals and those offspring are the ones that are ultimately designed for the production of meat and milk that we see on our table it took the creation of nearly 300 living embryos to make dolly and 17 years later the process is only slightly more efficient the long odds of success have also tempered much of the hope cloning held for medical research that scientists could create embryonic stem cells to treat diseases it wasn't until May 2013 that scientists in Oregon finally managed to use the Dolly method to produce stem cells from a cloned human embryo. The whole technique still has this inbuilt inefficiency and we don't know why. We needed some alternative to the Dolly approach to creating these cell types. And that's what led to what really is a revolution in science. Japanese scientist Shinya Yamanaka rocked the scientific community in 2006 when he turned ordinary adult cells into stem cells in mice and then replicated that success in humans. It was a major scientific breakthrough that earned him the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2012 That's the and also eliminated the ethical issue that he said motivated him, the controversial use of human embryos. You can accomplish all of the good things without taking on the baggage of the bad. And now you could actually do this in most laboratories around the world. Stem cell therapy is still at the very early stages of development, 
And the jury is still out on whether Yamanaka's reprogrammed cells or those cloned in Oregon using the Dolly method will prove more effective. Ian Wilmot himself gave up cloning years ago and is using Yamanaka's method in his research on Lou Gehrig's disease. In the next 100, 150 years, we'll learn to treat most of the degenerative diseases. It's because of our ability to produce these stem cells and study them, and it would be because of our ability to find cells to put into the patient. And all of that came from cloning. It started people thinking, well, if we can take a cell and make it into a whole animal, what else can we do with those cells? President Obama lifted the ban on stem cell funding in 2009, but Skadden says its impact on his field still resonates. It is something that is a little disturbing, because it was a way in which science suddenly was fighting against non-scientific principles. That legacy is the one that I think is most troubling. Dolly herself is on permanent display at the National Museum of Scotland. She is a favorite among both kids who never knew a time when making a clone was pure science fiction. They have her um, stuffed, like taxidermy, and on display. You have to realize that all of these things become huge money-making operations also. So besides the terror, the fear, the lies, and remember, these are all their scientists <laughs> that are saying this stuff, right? Okay, so and adults who remember the stir in the winter of 1997 when Dolly turned that fiction into fact. Okay, 1997, Dolly turned that fiction into fact. So we're now at 2023. Um, it doesn't feel that long ago to me, so let's take a look here. <laughs> okay. I have been on this embryo thing forever, ever and ever, and I'd like to start with my favorite quote, because I found it in this file when I opened it up. I was so happy this morning. The birds were singing. I opened my file, and I thought, hey, <laughs> I already wrote this show months, maybe a year ago. <laughs> um, this quote is, common sense is a flower that doesn't grow in everyone's garden. Just let that sink in. Common sense is a flower that doesn't grow in everyone's garden. Okay, so let's get down to reality here. Um, oh, before I get started, um, there's a person, if you want to learn more, go to psychopathinyourlife.com and click on Elite Transgenders, and you'll see all of the... Um, people, you know, the Kennedys and all these people with their botched up necks, their surgeries, their fake teeth and all that stuff there. Um, but there was something else there. Um, what was it? Oh, if you scroll down, I did something really petty and I have pictures of their feet because these are all men wearing, acting like they're women wearing wigs, right? So, okay. So you can take a look at that there. And if you want to learn more, there's something on YouTube that's doing a really good job of showing how they walk because how they walk is very significant because newsflash women and men walk differently so the name is um it's on youtube it's all one word real nosy parker n-o-s-e-y parker real nosy parker and she gives examples of um you know 
if you wa watch them walking down the stairs and stuff, all these elites and stuff, they're all women. So if you want more proof, <laughs> watch how they walk because we're different. Our bone structures are different. We walk different. Real women don't have those huge, long, monkey-like arms <laughs> like the fake women do. And if you look at that file I have there, you'll notice that under Grace Kelly, they defined beauty based on a transgendered woman. So, okay, so, reality check. Okay, the first pregnancy achieved through in vitro fertilization of a human was reported, okay, reported, um, in 1973, although it only lasted a few days and would today be called a biochemical pregnancy, okay? Um, they attempted to perform IVF in 1973, but the department chairman interdicted the procedure at the last moment. There was also an atopic pregnancy, yeah, I don't know, in 1976, okay. Another one, supposedly, and this is from their own wiki page. Wiki page is their own way of databasing stuff, so I always start off there. Um, early babies. Stephen Toe and Robert Edwards started collaborating in human IVF research in 1968. In 1977, Stefo and Edwards successfully carried out a pioneering conception, which resulted in the birth of the world's first baby to be conceived by IVF. Her name is Louise, L-O-U-I-S-E Brown, B-R-O-W-N. Lots of information out there about Louise, okay? <clears throat> and that supposedly happened on July the 25th, 1978 in the UK, Great, Greater Manchester, UK. Louise Brown, okay, was an early supposed baby of IVF, okay? words you're looking for they also call them snowflakes um they call them snowflake babies babies that are born through ivf and i'll be getting into more of that in a bit here but first so all of this that i was just talking about here these the first pregnancy supposedly um the first ivf was in 1968 well i've been talking a lot about how we get pre pre-positioned by the movies and stuff right well what happened exactly at that time. I would encourage you to watch the movie. Um, it's called Rosemary's Baby, okay? And um, I have a copy of it, but I won't share it because um, I don't want to get any technical charges. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, you can you can get a copy of Rosemary's Baby over on YouTube and rent it for the day. It's like five bucks or something. Um, and it's a very interesting look into the psychology of how they started getting into our minds, the baby thing and the IVF thing. And then next, I will talk about the reality of where they are right now with IVF. And remember, I've been following this IVF thing for years, and it is a just straight up Frankenstein operation, okay? <laughs> There's nothing good, organized, or sensible about this whole IVF thing, full disclosure, okay? But let's start off with Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby is a 1968 American psychological horror film written and directed by Roman Polanski. And remember, I'm pulling out my old notes from ages ago. Um, they talk about this um, root called the Tannis, T-A-N-S-I-S root in the movie. Um, and 
I, I, I'm just going to read you what I had notes here. The note said, the Tandis root does not have a real counterpart outside of the fictional universe of Rosemary's Baby. Although the illustration contained in the book is a reproduction of the Mandragora, M-A-N-D-R-A-G-O-R-A, -A, -A, a poisonous root legendly associated with witchcraft. So somebody had, the original book had this picture of this root, which was, I guess, the real one, right? But for the movie, they say it's a Tannis root. Also, another note I had was, in the novel as well as the film, the child was born on June 1966. So that is 666. The number that is in popular culture and in some religious confessions is known as number of the beast, 666. Okay, I'm just going to give you a very brief overview. Rosemary and Guy Woodhouse, she was played by Mia Farrow, that little man, <laughs> Mary Frank Sinatra. <laughs> um, they're a young couple looking to rent an apartment, and Guy is a struggling actor who's not able to obtain recognition. See, this is where the... People are being drugged in by this satanic deal every day in this country, right? They have agents all around these popular places. That's why they tell these stories about um, people making it big in Hollywood or recording stars, you know, come to come to Memphis and make it big. These areas are literally, literally crawling with their agents. And that's why they tell the rags to riches stories, because what that does is it dragnecks in a lot of innocent kids thinking they're going to seek fame and glory based on some story of some other person who they read about, right? But that fame and stuff is never for any of us. It is only for them. It's what they use to lure us in, right? So the, the, the part about the movie I want you to pay attention to, which is interesting, is that's how... He gets lured into this crowd, okay? And I'm not going to say any more than that because um, they say that Ro Rosemary's Baby is a kind of godmother to all of these Satan-themed horror films <laughs> that followed. And Rosemary's Baby was the first one, and then they came up with The Exorcist, The Omen, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and uh, yeah, so Rosemary's Baby is the big one, okay? And it's interesting from the fact that it came out in 1968 right when they're introducing all of this dolly stuff and all this other stuff, right? Um, the birth of Rosemary's baby is the new year one. Hmm. Okay, I don't know what that was about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, okay, and I had these other notes, but I'll just read. It said, the birth of Rosemary's baby is the new year one. And that's 1966, right? It is also accurate by Church of Satan standards to call 1966 year one. This is a self-conscious parallel reference to the year of Jesus Christ's birth, also in year one A.D. Another unstated fact, yeah, we already said this, the baby is born on 6 June 1966, numerically 6666. So Satan is the um, Satan is the, the, the basic theme is um, Satan is the father, not guy the husband, right? Um, so yeah, I'm not going to get into more of that. So, um, 
There was a uh, interesting piece that I had in this file that I'll read though, um, because the movie. Go watch the movie. Just like song, I don't want to start telling you what to think about. Okay, we've we've gone for too long with people telling other people what to think. I'm just trying to share information to hopefully inspire you <laughs> to go look further. Okay. Aftermath of the movie. While some will consider Rosemary's Baby to be nothing more than a scary movie played on the sensibilities of devout Christians and young mothers, others see it as Roman Polanski's courageous exposition of high society's occult mind state. Many, however, see the movie as an occult manifesto heralding a new era. I call it predictive programming. Rosemary's Baby is Alistair Crowley's child of the new Aeon, and, or Horus, the son of Isis. See, they think this baby is the son of Isis. That's why I finally am getting to this IVF stuff today. So. Once you know more, these things start to make more sense, right? So, Rosemary's baby is child of the new Aeon, A-E-O-N, or Horus, the son of Isis. So, the bringer of the new era in world history. Whether it was, I'm reading from this piece, <clears throat> whether it was intentional or not, Rosemary's Baby did appear at the brink of a new era and became, became part of an important social change. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, now. The movie appeared at a moment of optimum spiritual chaos in American life. Rosemary's Baby remains an iconic memory trace of a time when anything seemed possible, including the birth of the Antichrist, says this guy from the Village Voice. Rosemary is representative. Rep okay, everybody, gotta get ready to settle down here a minute. Okay. Okay, the shift is complete. Cat has left one side, dog is over on the other side. No cords were dropped. <laughs> okay, so. Rosemary is representative of the traditional and native, oh, excuse me, <laughs> and naive American society of the 50s and 60s, filled with idealism and hope. But that hope was sold, drugged, and manipulated by a hidden cult formed by prestigious and respectable members of society to forcefully give birth to a new era. Shocking events left indelible marks. You hear that bird outside? I swear it must be right under my awning there. Um, I had this gangster bird outside a year or so ago that, boy, when those babies were getting ready to get born, they were just dangerous to go near that nest. <laughs> Okay, so I gotta get focused here. So it's representative of the 50s and 60s, shocking events. You see, this is what, what this is all about is this is all about shock, awe, and fear, right? Because that is the very best way to control people, and then you throw money into the wick. And I still keep thinking about the last show talking about S and how significant is it that money is also the letter S, right? The dollar sign, the root of all evil is the dollar sign, the S. <laughs> okay, so, so um, shocking events. Yeah, we had the death of JFK. There was Marilyn Monroe, Martin Luther King, horrific ritual mur murders perpetuated by the UK. Oh, excuse me, MK Ultra, like Charles Manson. We had the Son of Fear, 
we had a lot of stuff going on during the era, which is pretty interesting, right? These events slapped America out of its ideals and forced it to stare at an undefinable yet tangible force influencing society. Conspiracies and cover-up and cover-ups made the news, and the masses gradually discovered the existence of a shadow government. <clears throat> yeah, because all of this stuff, JFK, I mean, talk about divide and conquer. <clears throat> this has all of us in different groups, right? Some people say, well, you people about JFK are just conspiracy theorists because <laughs> why didn't he duck? Why did he get shot in the head? Well, because none of it really happened, right, okay? And now, you can certainly go online, and I pulled up a bunch of um, clips of JFK getting shot in his head because, because <laughs> it's a dummy. And a lot of people have gone scene by scene through those videos, and you can find some pretty funny clips of him being shot in the head. Because when they zoom in, it's not like they showed you on TV. He is a dummy. <laughs> so... Most of these things are getting exposed, but what's happening still is there's still a big divide amongst us, those of us who are looking for the truth, and those who act like we're all just insane and the government is really real, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think that this was a very significant point in our culture here with this movie, uh, the 1966, all of these, Charlie Manson, all this stuff during this era. Um, so, delusionment and cynicism ensued. See, this is why they allow two sides. Like, they're fine with their people arguing amongst each other and all that kind of stuff. Because if you look at a lot of social media, what is a lot of it? Well, a lot of it is them calling out each other, right? <laughs> they rule by chaos, okay? Because a lot of people see these things, they think, well, they can't be true, because why would they let people say these things? Well, because that is exactly how it works. And also... To assume that level of control, you have to be assuming a lot of levels of intelligence, okay? So, <laughs> who are the 1%? Would you consider them the most intelligent people in the world? Or would you consider them potentially some drugged-up, hormone-driven people running this whole, <laughs> this whole board game? <laughs> I would say they're a bunch of drugged-up, washed-up, hormone-ridden people calling themselves elites, giving themselves badges, and they really don't know their ass from a hole in the ground, okay? Um, so they, they stage these things to rattle us so badly that nobody notices that they really haven't gone past the dolly the sheep thing, now have they? And I'll be getting to more of that in a minute. So anyway, so it's all a matter of shock and awe on the surface, right? Um, Society became the equivalent of Rosemary, who had learned of the evil nature of her baby, but nonetheless accepted the responsibility of mothering it. See, that that's the key right there, okay? She, 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 she learned that her baby was evil, but she also accepted the responsibility of mothering it. What a concept to put into people's brains, right? And, you know... What are they doing now? Well, they're getting people to get babies via surrogate. Disconnected people already talked about all that. They're disconnected people. And, um, yeah, so getting other people to mother it. So, yeah, today's, um, and when I to say today's debate, pop culture is simply the evolution of the system. Um, yeah, um, there is, um, for this show, I had a lot of um, clips that I already done and everything, but I'm not going to be playing them because, um, well, 
doesn't make sense right now, but um, what I'd like to do is point you in the direction should you care to explore more, okay? Um, because it's a pretty simple process. First thing they have to do is freeze the eggs, okay? But none of this is as simple as it appears to the woman, okay? Because in order to get those eggs to freeze, they have to inject a great deal of hormones into the mother giving the eggs, the woman giving the eggs, and also to the surrogate. So both sides get hit with a lot of hormones, okay? And if you could imagine how out of control that could possibly be based on who's in charge, well, I don't think I need to go into a lot of explanation, but go look into egg freezing. Just look into egg freezing and issues, right? They say that there are over a million embryos in the United States frozen, just hanging out somewhere, right? And, um, well, <laughs> it is like something... And I'll give you some. I'll, I'll give you some links to look for. Okay, I'll tell you how how out of control this thing is right now. I have. Um, I got kicked out of one Facebook group and actually banned from Facebook for a while for some reason, some embryo group. But I'm back in it, and I've been back in it for quite a while. I'm just kind of quietly sitting there, and I'll tell you where I am. Um, I won't tell you who I am, but I'll tell you where I am. <laughs> I have a other name that I use there. Um, I uh, maybe have only posted a couple of times, but um, well, I thought I was going to. Um, oh, I, I don't know Facebook that well. Okay, groups. Okay, their Facebook is kind of like the um, baby business. Okay, where it's where it appears to be running the baby business out of. Okay, because basically right now you can go to Facebook and. You can join a support group for how to get IVF treatment, what to do with the embryos, and the confusion level is just off the charts, okay? The people who are getting these embryos have to become almost like experts because the information is so not studied and so all over the map in this field that really makes you start to wonder how did the U.S. get the gold standard, <laughs> but let me just walk you through what's going on. So anyway, so over on um, Facebook, they have all these groups, and what I found is if you decide you want to go and start looking around yourself, once I crack the case into the first one, then the other cases, so pick an embryo-looking group that would be easy to get in, and I didn't lie or do anything. Some of them will ask you, um, because they'll have like embryo support groups in this part of the country or whatever, and they'll they'll ask you a questionnaire like, are you really in this part of the country? You know what I mean? So I haven't lied or tricked my way into any of these accounts, full disclosure, okay? Because I don't believe in doing that. So I didn't make up any stories. I haven't said anything. Um, so, yeah. So, because, well, it's actually pretty depressing um, <laughs> because there's these groups that, um, I'm in one group, it's called the Private Adoption at Birth Month birth mother seeking community group and that basically is people in all countries and stuff who want to give up their babies and uh, I gotta tell you this is where the issues really get intense with this baby business in the United States that absolutely nobody seems to be aware of is that when these children um, get born here or, or get adopted and, and come here okay let's say that 
um, you've adopted a baby from China, okay? And um, you bring that baby here to the United States. Well, lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, there is no real system for keeping track of that baby once it gets here. Because one would assume that there's some inherent system and stuff that, um, you know, that once the baby gets here, it gets registered by the government somewhere. No, none of those things happen, okay? None of those things happen. And there is a pretty big case on YouTube, but I learned a lot about this. And what happened was, was this couple adopted this baby. And this case will be easy to find. It's a couple on YouTube. And um, they basically adopted this baby out of China with some disability issues. And they did it for the clicks, okay? And... Um, for all of you that think that YouTube is a fun place, it is a place of horror for children, okay? It's where they're doing their recruiting. It's where they're getting children to question their sexuality. That place in itself is an absolute horror show for children, okay? So if you have kids on YouTube and you're not managing them, you're making a huge mistake. So it's, 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 a, it's the first part of the dragnet where they haul the kiddos in, okay? And then turn the algorithm against them. So then kids will start thinking, gee, why do I keep seeing these shows about maybe I'm really a boy, because the algorithm has kicked in, so these kids will start thinking, oh, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe there's something to this, because they're kids, they don't realize it's the algorithm. <laughs> so anyway, so, yeah, and you know, I've been convinced for years, and I'll say it now, that there's been two incidents of alleged activity. Everybody's always screaming about pedophiles, but when, when there comes real cases, it's amazing to me how little attention people pay attention to it, right? Because you could ask anybody on social media, and they would just be outraged, right? But there were two huge cases involving YouTube and pedophiles. And I'll give you the key words. And what happened was, was that I kind of got drug into the first... I never made money on YouTube, and that's why I eventually left, because I was starting to feel like maybe I'm just being suspicious, or maybe my account is flagged, right? <laughs> it had to be my account is flagged. But anyway, so... Um, I had a point there. I had a point there. Well, oh, okay, so here is the, here is the case. So here, here's been my suspicion forever, okay? Um, because many times they call each other out for things, okay? And there were two specific incidents that the New York Times called out YouTube for pedophilia, okay? And um, I'm convinced, it, 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 just because, maybe that was the time they got my account flagged, I don't know. All I know is that certainly my account was flagged or I would have gotten paid, right? But anyway, so that's, that's, a, that's a mute issue. But what I'm saying is that um, there was a time, and this scuffle was so huge, that it was called an apocalypse on YouTube, okay? And what had happened was the New York Times, and all you look for are these keywords, New York Times, YouTube, pedophiles, and you'll get to all the information. There were two incidents, okay? The first incident was New York Times did a huge expose on YouTube. Matter of fact, when I'm sitting right here, I'll just go... Um, um, they did a huge expose, okay? And at the time, I was wondering, what is this all about, right? What is this all about? Why is the New York Town Times calling out 
the pedophiles and pedophilia activity on YouTube and accusing YouTube of being a participator in it. It didn't make any sense to me at the time. But at the time, um, I thought it was possibly a turf war over um, advertising revenue. These were, I'm just sharing with you my private thoughts that I was thinking at the time, right? I thought possibly there was some turf war going on be between the New York Times and YouTube over ad revenue because at that same time, the New York Times had an editor. He was the first editor who wasn't a family member. And interesting enough, he's now running the Ancestry.com site. But anyway, so this guy um, was brought on to the New York Times to beef up the advertising revenue, right? So at the time, I thought this might be a fight between the two of them over the ad revenue. So maybe if New York Times bloodied the, the YouTube people, then they will gain the ad dollars, okay? But since then, I've had completely different thoughts, okay? And I'll share those with you. I've never shared them. I think that this was all about children's pictures, okay? And I'll get to that in a second here. But I think, what, 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 what do you have there on YouTube, okay? You have the second largest search engine in the world run by Google, okay? So, um, I think this calling out by the New York Times, well, let's put it this way. Clearly, if you owned all this digital content, and I'm not going to be making any accusations, but clearly, if you were of a certain kind of criminal person who wants to make money off of every single thing and create crimes and stuff, a huge catalog of indecent pictures of children's that families have innocently posted on your website might be tempting, right? Might be tempting. Okay, so I got to get back to this other thing. But first, um, let me see, what was the first article? The first one, I'll get, jot these down. The first one happened in February 20th, 2019, okay? All I typed in was NYT YouTube pedophiles. And this is what I found, okay? Both articles, okay? Um, the article was, um, Advertisers Boycott YouTube After Pedophiles Swarm. And what I'll say is that, um, what was happening was, was that, uh, I'll just give you a brief recap and then I'll be done with it. Um, if the New York Times doesn't block me. Um, yeah, they blocked me. Okay, I can't see that article. Um, so, <laughs> I just don't slow down to read these articles. But anyway, so the first article <clears throat> was this uh, June. No, let me slow down here a second. February 20th, 2019. Okay, 2019 you're looking for, okay. Advertisers boycott YouTube. What was going on was that... Um, People were noticing that on um, family videos and stuff that people were in the comments, they were targeting certain key points. Like, for example, they'd say um, they would flag certain times to key, okay? They'd say, like, 5.06, okay? 
well, what did 506 mean? Well, 506 might mean when that kid gave a crotch shot or gave, gave some sexual type of thing that these wackos could deal with, right? So they caught them time-stamping kids' videos, okay? So they got in trouble for it only because of this New York Times thing, okay? So then um, there was another one, and um, these were huge, huge, huge exposés. And if you can... I'm not going to register for New York Times account to read it to you. So if, if you can, go go read it. Go read it. Stop having people read your stuff. Go read it for yourself, okay? Because it is wild stuff, okay? And read it from the perspective of, what is this about, okay? Why are these two huge figures fighting with each other, right? I think it's a combination of money, and it's a combination of they're fighting over and pointing out that YouTube has all the images under their control. Okay, so the second exposure came just four months after that, June the 3rd, 2019, and the title was On YouTube's Digital Playground, An Open Gate for Pedophiles, and it goes into massive details about how the algorithm are set and all that. And what that did was that then got YouTube to start following child laws, but they're not following any other laws. For example, all these kids and these family videos, don't even get me started, but anyway, so yeah. So that that got YouTube to then turn off the comments in videos that have children in them. So if I click on my video and say that my content is for children, they will disable my comments. And that's why they started disabling comments with out of this event here. So let me get back to why I started here. Um, that was this IVF stuff. Um, oh, no, wait a minute. I was starting to read you some groups of report on Facebook. Okay. So, Facebook. Um, there's embryo and IVF support group that I'm in. Um, um, there's an embryo donation and adoption site. There's a surrogate mother site. Um, if you want to find out the most... There's a guy called, um, you want to look for this guy, because this thing is so out of control as far as um, with lack of information on these embryos. I mean, people seriously don't have a clue. They're looking at all these embryos, and some doctors are saying, oh, well, it is this, and other people are saying, well, no, but that can't be transferred. And in the meantime, these people are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on these false hopes and dreams about this embryo business, right? And my big concern about all this is this, is that when you start dealing with embryos, where do, and I, I'll just make this one statement, okay? Just, I'm pretty sure that they've been feminizing and masculizing people in this country. Not that hard to do, right? Kids in the hospital, Babies are born there. One shot of estrogen for the men, shot of testosterone for the girls. There you go, right? Um, and, it, you know, remember, there's also a reason why all of our manufacturing and drugs and stuff get done in China. <laughs> it's kind of hard to control the contents if you don't even control where it's being made, right? So, yeah, so there's this person that you want to look for, and that will show you exactly how screwed up this entire embryo thing and save me a lot of breath, okay? He has a site on Facebook. He calls himself Embryo Man. 
E-M-B-R-Y-O-M-A-N, okay? And he has the latest, <laughs> I mean, the latest on um, what cells are good, what's are bad, what's aren't. It, it, when you, when you, all you have to do is just humor me and go spend, um, go spend just a few minutes at one of these sites and you'll start to be scratching your head and thinking, man, this is completely and utterly out of control. They do not know what first base is from home plate, okay? They do not know what these embryos, there is no research being done. That's how they got the U.S. to be the um, standard. So let me give you a couple more while I'm at it. Um, there is this group called... Um, because I follow these nutcases. I mean, these doctors, just go, just spend 10 minutes and watch one of them in an interview, and you'll be thinking, wow, really? Um, one is called the National Embryo Donation Center, and that's a scary group. That's what they do is all of these groups are Christian-run groups, okay? And what they do is they gather up all these embryos, and they feel like it's God's will that all of these embryos must find a home, okay? So, yeah, it gets pretty scary. So, National Embryo Donation Center is a big one, okay? Um, and um, another big one, this, this guy, you gotta, you, you gotta go watch this guy, okay? <laughs> if you don't do anything else today, go watch this nutcase, okay? Um, it's the Center for Human Reproduction. Just go listen to him. Pick out any show and then cheat. <laughs> okay, and then there's another one. Embryo Adoption Awareness Center. And the last one I'm in is called um, Your IVF Journey. And these are just, I mean, <laughs> well, anyway, I got to get back to this other stuff. This stuff is in the dark ages, okay? And I am not exaggerating. This stuff is not tested. It's not being done in any kind of legitimate sense. And they're just basically freezing embryos, finding homes for them, and uh, doing it. So, yeah. Um, so, what's the deal? Are we creating demon babies, kind of like in Rosemary's? And remember, if somebody was born via IVF, I'm not suggesting that they were a demon baby. But what I am suggesting is think about it, right? Thinky, thinky, right? They know, they know certain things well, okay? They know how to breed cattle, okay? They know how to breed pigs to make them big, right? They know the basic elements. But then you have to look at other elements, like look at their track record with breeding dogs. Most bred dogs are riddled with diseases, okay? Most people that they're transgendering are also riddled with diseases, right? So, <laughs> just because, so, so anyway, so if you get the, let me put it this way. A lot of people want to have children, right? And because of fertility issues, well, I imagine because of the water being polluted, all of these pla all of this stuff makes the U.S. have severe fertility issues. We, 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 we rank the world in low fertility. We rank the world in how quick we're dying, okay? 
<laughs> Go look for the studies yourself. So we got, an, we got a population of people who are having fertility issues, okay? So now we got the wolves over here on the Christian side pushing these embryos to these people, right? So you start to smell the money start to enter this picture. So, yeah, and all of this is being individually funded. So I have said this for a very long time. Likely the reason why the United States has never adopted national health care it would bring along universal tracking of our health care, right? Simple, right? Because now, in order to track things from different, you have to go from hospital to hospital. Whereas, like in the UK, they were just able to go to their database and start digging around there, right? So, it's all about the control, and their lack of any kind of organization or real testing is how they got to be the gold standard, okay? And... Um, People then become making even more assumptions in their heads, right? Nobody starts to ask how this is all working, right? For example, the United States is one of the first com is one of the few countries that allows all this stuff, right? Surrogate babies and all this stuff. Well, what's happening is this, and just in general, okay? Because of the fertility, people from this country seek fertility arrangements to these people who don't don't appear to me like they know what they're talking about but you go you go figure out for yourself right so you, you invest a great deal of money in this kind of technology or belief that also puts your dna and stuff directly into their hands now doesn't it so they're handling the merchandise through this process right all i'm going to say on that they're handling the merchandise that then gets implanted that then becomes impregnated, right? So let's keep all that part straight, okay? Um, so because the United States allows it all, that makes it very attractive to, let's say, rich Chinese couples who are also having fertility issues. This is the place where they're all coming, okay? They actually send over their representatives when the babies are born to pick them up. Talk about lack of bonding along the way, right? It is a transaction. Getting a baby in this country is a transaction. And likely because it costs so much more, people feel safer doing it here, right? Well, whether it's safer or not, I'm going to just lay out what I know, and I would hope that you would think about it for yourself, because um, I think that's a viable reason why we don't have national health care. It's about control. It makes people assume a lot of things. Um, children get lost track of. You know, babies are coming in here from other countries. Nothing's being written down. Nothing is being written down. And if you, I, I think I started to say this earlier and lost track, but if you, if you adopt a child from China, okay, this is what I learned from that YouTube case. If you adopt a child from China, you bring it here, things don't work out. There's no system. No system, okay? So what happens is those children just then get rehomed. You know how you would rehome a dog that didn't work out? Yeah, that's what happens. There's a whole underground of people. That's why the, that's why this country is always talking about everybody else being so out of control because everything here is in fact out of control when it comes to the children, right? So, yeah, so nothing's being kept a track of. So when the child enters here, nobody's saying, oh yeah, we got this kid from China living over there in, you know, Ohio, okay? Um, so, you rehome it. 
So there's these groups. You go to Facebook groups or wherever, and you run ads for this child that you want to rehome. And then you meet up in some, really seriously, some parking lot and exchange this child to another party. That, in a nutshell, is how it works. Because we assume a lot of these things are happening, right? But in reality is, it is not happening, okay? And it is so bad here that... Um, I'm trying to keep him from trying to... Let me try to wrap up here. Come here. Come here. It is so bad. Um, it is so bad here that this is happening. The gold standard state is now California in this country. What they've been doing is they're pre-assigning birth certificates. <laughs> so talk about a trick to the surrogate. So I guess if the surrogate mother maybe decides that she doesn't want to give up that baby... Or maybe she decides that she's giving up the baby to monsters. Well, it's, it'd be much harder to tackle if you're in a state like California and you have agreed to legally have your um, child pre-assigned their birth certificate pre-birth. Now let that sink in. So these babies, people are starting to move around here. These <laughs> keys coming up, the cat's moving in. These babies before they're born, are being issued birth certificates, which makes it easier for you to get them out of the country. The whole process is just, well, it stinks. But anyways, i got to keep moving here because he's just acting like he's going to go crazy there. So, so what I'm trying to say in all of this is the reason I got into the surrogate business, not because I was lacking anything to do, is because... It's a freak show, and children are being used. And I have to close this off for a second here and go deal with the boy. What I did was I put up a gate in here to try to crowd control while I was talking. But let me close off and go um, get him outside, and I'll be right back. Uh, my name is Mike Jennings, and um, I am an attorney licensed in Tennessee and in Georgia. I went to the University of Georgia to law school, and I practice. My office is physically located in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We sit right on the state line. So I do adoption work in both states and have for almost 35 years now. In most cases, probably not, not necessary. And you're asking a lawyer about hiring a lawyer, so a lawyer will always say, well, that, that might be a good thing to do. But if you're working with the National Embryo Donation Center, they have a standard set of forms. They're pretty user-friendly. Their staff will fill them out and complete them for you, particularly if you're doing an anonymous donation or you're receiving embryos anonymously. It's, it's pretty, the forms are pretty simple. Uh, if you're doing a, um, embryo donation, receiving em, em, donated embryos, and it's supposed to be an open uh, uh, donation to where there'll be communication between the two couples after the embryos have been transferred and after a live birth, then it might not be a bad idea to have a lawyer involved because there's a lot more issues at that point in time. It's not uncommon, not unheard of for uh, embryo recipients to actually tell the embryo donor family directly or indirectly that we'll provide a little bit of money so you can have an attorney and our attorneys will work out the details. If that's done, it's important that there be something in writing to specify who's representing who, even if the embryo recipients are the ones paying for everything. If you don't live here, 
if you're not in Tennessee and you're wanting assurance that the law of your state will give you full rights to your child after your child is born, you might want to touch base with a lawyer who's got some adoption background or some experience to say, is there anything else that I need to do? And I can tell you the general answer is no, but you may feel better if you asked a lawyer license in your state that question. An embryo is treated in all 50 states as property, which means that a contract transfers title to the property. So an embryo is, a, tra a transfer of, of an embryo is done by contract under the laws of all the states. Once uh, the contract has been signed, uh, embryo ownership is transferred, even if the embryos physically haven't moved. Um, and at that point in time, if there is a problem with the embryo donors in terms of divorce, death, something like that, it doesn't matter because title is transferred. Even though the embryos may not have physically been transferred, they may not have been implanted, there may have been no birth, uh, but that's when transfer takes place. It's purely a contract thing. And, and frankly, if uh, something happened after that transfer to the embryo recipient's death, divorce, the contracts used by the center stipulate that any unused embryos at that point in time would be the property of the center, and the center would then look to make a second match um, of those embryos. Yes and no. Uh, and there's certainly a different difference if you compare uh, an adoption where a child has been adopted to uh, an embryo donation where a child results as a result of a donation and a transfer. And in an adoption, there's a file in a courthouse somewhere. And in that file, albeit it's a sealed file, but in that file, there are names. There are names of the biological mother, the biological father, and because there's a file with names in it, there's probably less likely to be anonymity in that type of an adoption. A lot of states allow those files to be unsealed at some point in time. In an embryo donation where it's made anonymously, it's a little more realistic because uh, that information is not as readily available. However, because of the technology and the world that we live in today, you, know, you think Ancestry.com, you know, 23andMe, uh, but because of DNA and the ready, ready accessibility of DNA, um, in today's world, it is not any guarantee that um, a child conceived as a result of a donor uh, donated embryo transfer could uh, find a, a donor parents or find half siblings uh, just through DNA matches and do it yourself at home DNA kits. State law generally says that the woman who gives birth to a child as a result of a transferred embryo is the mother of the child. Her husband is the father of the child. They are identified as such on the child's birth certificate. And that is a pretty uniform rule in the United States of America. Uh, in the two states in which I'm licensed, Tennessee and Georgia, they both have an embryo adoption statute, which is virtually identical, and that's what it says. It just restates the law. Now, one thing that's a little bit interesting is the state of Georgia has a embryo adoption statute that says that after a woman gives birth to a child 
uh, conceived as a result of, or given birth to as a result of a donated embryo, that the family can go ahead and do an adoption. Now, it's entirely unnecessary, but the real reason why that statute was written was so as to give that family the ability to claim expenses under the federal adoption tax credit. And so by doing an adoption, even though they didn't have to do an adoption, they then can claim those expenses and get them back on their income tax return. So that's really the sole purpose for that. You might call it a belt and suspenders approach. Not necessary, but not harmful either. process because um, they're hitting the house so hard right now that it is not even funny. So I hope you're seriously downloading what you want. So um, I was going to play this clip of this attorney, but uh, it's not the most important thing on earth. And I will tell you in simple terms what the laws are regarding embryos. <laughs> Pretty much non-existent. Um, if you go into one of these groups, let me give you an example. Let's say I went through IVF and I had X number of embryos created, but we only use two to produce the children that we have, right? So what do we do with the rest of them? Well, these Christian groups, and I don't know if it's just all Christian groups, but all of these groups that I've followed for years all happen to be Christian, so <laughs> you do the math. So anyhow, I believe they're selling it on this belief that as a good Christian, you would in fact want to adopt one of these babies if you're having from storage, from embryo storage, if you're having fertility issues. It would be the good Christian thing to do, right? So sign up over here, pay all this money, and we'll take care of it all for you, right? So there's a lot that gets wound into these Christian kind of deals, right? So. We certainly don't want to start indicting an entire group of people who are um, having issues with fertility and seeking out options, okay? So we need to put that into our view here, okay? Um, so a lot of what's happening is, is that, so somebody could show up to me and say, listen, my partner and I want to have a baby and we would be interested in adopting your embryos that you said that you have extras of, right? Well, all I would have to do would be to say, yeah, you're a good Christian couple, and I like you, and are we going to have an open adoption or a closed one? And then um, we don't even have to get our own attorneys. It just goes through one attorney. There's really no fuss, no muss. <laughs> just get the embryo, get it transferred from your bank to wherever, and it either gets transferred into the person who's enacting the purchase of these embryos or that person has um, come up with the services of a surrogate who's going to carry the embryo from this person. So you see the number of parties that get involved in all of this. And uh, I will try to refrain from getting into too much of a rant about what it does to the actual surrogate mother. Um, and this is my view after looking at this issue for, well, years, okay. Um, no one seems to question, you know, these celebrities. People are catching on that they're all transgender, but people aren't really connecting the dots in their head. I've done a couple of shows that I still have over on YouTube about pregnant men, um, what liars they are. 
But anyhow, so I don't think people really connect the dots when they see these transgender people and really wonder, like, where did that baby come from, okay? And my whole deal is the, the, the base, where did it come from, right? Because there was this quote I found, I had my file, it said, I was a surrogate. It's my biggest regret in life, even if I, even if it made dreams come true, I got nightmares. It's all sold on this idea that normally, normally, a great deal of these people, after years of looking at them, are in financial trouble. Okay, let's just call it out, okay? And it varies by state how much you can get paid. And, you know, this is a... There's all kinds of ways to pay people. Even if the state says they don't pay surrogates, there's all kinds of ways to get paid, okay? And most of these women, from my view appeared to very much be in very much of need of that financial support to keep their existing family floating. That is the bare reality of okay. It is no different than anything else and it is such a brutal process for the woman and I did that show about the taking the infant away and the repercussions. So I'm certainly not gonna fly into a rampage. But let me go over this um this is show you more about this um, lie about um, transhumans. Let's I had a timeline of timeline of advances in the field of reproduction medicine. Okay, 1953, first successful pregnancy using frozen sperm. First use of HMG for ovulation induction. 1960. 1960, the first oral contraceptive was approved as a contraceptive in the U.S. 1965, the Supreme Court gave married couples the right to use birth control, ruling that it was protected in the Constitution as a right to privacy. And so, I don't know, um, first um, microsurgical vasectomy reversal was performed 1971, Roe v. Wade, 1973. First human pregnancy using electro ejaculation, whatever that means. Okay, hey, come on. Come on. Come on. Let's just make out, everybody. Come on, let's go. Come on. We're all getting used to the new system. So just sit down, honey. It's okay. Let's go lay down, baby. Let's go lay down. Okay. So, you know, 71, you know, vasectomies. Um, 1977, first successful IVF pregnancy, although no, no birth resulted, 1977. Okay, that's pretty telling, would you say? Okay. Um, and then 1978, we talked about her already, that Louise Brown was born in England. So, yeah, um, we're only talking... Um, First successful pregnancy using testicular sperm extraction, 1993, okay? Uh, 1997, first report of IVF death, IVF births for men with NOA from Kleinderfeltz. I don't know what that means. Okay. Um, oh, this is another one. See how they play these things out? Um, remember the person we were talking about earlier was Louise Brown, was supposedly the first IVF baby? Well, as miracles would have it, 
this is nothing but a cut and paste marketing plan, okay? 1999, Natalie Brown, younger sister of Louise Brown, becomes the first IVF baby to naturally give birth to a child. So, uh, yeah, um, let me see, they had some diseases here. 2015, Zika virus emerges as a threat to unborn babies. Why is that in this list? Okay. Um, 2017, 2018, the reproductive health community focused on access to care. Yeah, that's another thing. Just look around. Um, care for infants is frankly non-existent. So, okay, so I think I pretty much have said all I'm going to say about all this stuff. Um, the bottom line is this, is that... Um, I would encourage you to go look at those groups. They're easy to find. Get into that embryo man groups first, and then the rest of will will let you in. And just as an ethical thing, I don't lie or cheat on the on the forms and make up make up stories and stuff because frankly, I don't have the time or the interest in any of that. So, get into one of those groups, and you'll get into the rest of them. And um, if you think, oh, that's too that's too horrible, I don't want to look at that. Well, we pretty much got here because we didn't want to look at that, right? And we thought somebody else was in charge, and we thought things were going fine. And the reality is a lot of little kiddos have been drugged into this thing, okay? And um, children without their mothers is a pretty big deal. And um, I'm going to try to cautiously not say any more than I'm saying right now, okay? Um, because somehow the United States is the gold standard destination for surrogacy. But the average costs range from 120000 to 150000 Quite a little racket they have going, don't they? International surrogacy can cost as 50000 in Eastern Europe or South America. A huge place of the U.S. is considered the gold standard. I'm just going off the top of my head here. Um, gold standard. Next is Ukraine. Why Ukraine? Well, Ukraine, they can get a lot of eggs out of Ukraine. And take a look at that whole egg extraction and implanting process. It is not, they make it sound like, oh, you want to donate some eggs? <laughs> you know, first of all, they give you a ton of hormones to jack up your egg count to the point that you're mass producing like hundreds of eggs, right? So they can extract the amount and make the most profit, right? So this is all a human experiment. So they, they jack up your hormones out of the female to make sure that you crank out an un unhumanly amount of eggs during this particular process so they can extract them out. And in the meantime, they're loading up the person, the person who's going to be the birth mother, with tons of hormones so they'll be able to accept this transfer. Now, these are the two steps that these people have mastered quite well. They know how to store these things, they know how to extract these things, and they know how to identify things on them. But beyond that, my view is that it is a gold mine money-making operation is really what it is. And how many deformed children they crank out is probably nothing that any of them are particularly worried about. So, yeah, um, you have to kind of wonder about the entire operation and um, just the, the need for people to feel like they want to have children drives the demand, right? The, the demand drives the criminals, right? And it's just like these surgeries are doing all these kids. They make it appear like, oh yeah, this is fine, everything's fine. But the reality, it doesn't take a lot of scratching around to see that there are no studies. 
They just got to be the gold standard because they are the United States, and people make a lot of assumptions about things that go on in this country. So, yeah, that is the bottom line of um, how the embryo business is running. And like I said, it's always important to look at how these things get started. And at the root of this entire deal is rot, right? And also at the root of the rot is money, the S sign, right? The S, 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 hissing down on innocent little babies being born into this world. So I think I better stop this conversation there and be safe out there and goodbye for now. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains Within the sound of silence Restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone Neath a halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stared by the flash of a neon light It split the night And touched the sound Talking.